Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life, where for the fifth time in the 2019 season, I'm recording a podcast after a New York Jets win. That is right. This week, the New York Jets defeat the division rival Miami Dolphins 22-21 to in epic comeback fashion. Was it a pretty game? No, it was sloppy. Across the board, didn't go exactly the way we wanted to, but at the end of the day, we beat the Miami Dolphins. Sam Darnold leads us to comeback drives. Two times. Sam Ficken kicks a game-winning kick. I mean, it's not so bad for 5-8. and eight. It's not the worst thing in the world. It looks like at this point, the New York Jets will probably finish with a better final record than the Dolphins. So they won't finish in last in the AFC East. And a lot of people are wondering, Dan, is this where we set the bar for ourselves finishing last in the AFC East? No, it's not where we set the bar for ourselves. But you can't tell me that you wouldn't rather be third place than last in the division. That's a position that I'm happy to give to the Miami Dolphins. You know, I don't I don't think this game has much importance around the entire NFL. Didn't mean much to anybody except for maybe some draft positioning. But it always feels good beating the Miami Dolphins. This is actually Sam Darnold's first time beating them. So good little monkey off his back. Get him rolling the division a little bit. We've actually finished now with a 5-8 and eight record, 5 wins at the very least. It's going to be better than last season in 2018 when we fired Todd Bowles, finished 4-12, and 12. Had the third overall pick, drafted Quinn and Williams. This year we already got five. We got three games to go. Tough games. Baltimore Steelers, Bills. Who knows? Maybe we can pick up six. Is seven possible? I'll keep dreaming for eight. Short week this week, playing Thursday. It's uh, we got a lot to unwrap in this episode. Before I get into everything, I want to remind everybody to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast anywhere that podcasts are found. If you like it, that stuff's always appreciated. You can always follow me on Twitter at jets underscore dan for more. Jets thoughts, opinions, and things throughout the week. And you can always find these episodes on gangreennation.com, the best fan-made site for New York Jets information. Those guys over there are awesome. I appreciate them letting me have the podcast on here and do this every week and be a part of their team. So uh, check them out as well. And yeah, let's get into this whole thing. It's going to be a pretty standard episode in terms of makeup here. We're going to do a quick recap of the game, talk coaching, offense, and defense. We're going to do a little what's on tap. We're going to talk player performances. i got a special... Special surprise during the player performances that I'm pretty excited about. We're going to talk team stats, father time, we're going to do a Ravens preview, and then uh, close this thing out. You know, we got a short week this week with the game coming up on Thursday, and that's basically like our big opportunity. It's going to be a, a crazy tough game, and we know that we may get absolutely demolished. We've got a bunch of injuries. Our team hasn't played well. You're talking about maybe a Super Bowl champion over there in the Ravens in their building on Thursday night football, short week. You know... Very good chance it doesn't go well, but just imagine that it does. I mean, this is like our Super Bowl of the rest of the season. It's our last chance to play on primetime TV. It's a chance to let the public see what Sam Darnold can do, and hopefully hopefully he does well. And it's just one of those things that I want so much good for Sam Darnold, and I want everybody else to see it too. I want the whole world to be in agreement that he's great. You know how we all agree that Drew Brees is an awesome quarterback? I don't really know anybody that's ever said otherwise. I want Sam Darnold to, to be working towards that sort of respect around the league and he's not there yet there are a lot of people especially outside of Jets nation that that think that Sam Donald's maybe not that good he's struggling he's just a 
you know, stopgap quarterback. The Jets are going to have to move on. They think that he's got turnover issues and maybe he's not the future for the Jets. Most of us that watch the games that are real New York Jets fans, we see what he can do. We know how great he is. But this is a chance to showcase that you're playing against a really good team. And if he plays well, it's going to show the world what he is. And it's meaningless. It doesn't really mean anything for the New York Jets. It's just kind of like a, a vain thing that I want for myself as a team. And I really root for the guy. And I really want, I don't know, I just want everybody to love him as much as I do. So he's got an opportunity on Thursday. And that's like the big Super Bowl. This season's coming to an end. It flew by. Wait, all season. Like It feels like 99% of the year is waiting for football. And then you have this 1% that's like feels like a week and a half where the entire season just goes by. I mean, really, it's spread out across four months for the New York Jets. We have 16 games, but you start putting asterisks next to some. Luke Falk played these games. You know, Chris Herndon suspended. We're going to get him back. We never had C.J. Mosley. He's going to come back. Then Jamal Adams and all these things and issues. And it's just like, you know, which games were real full games the New York Jets played? When it comes down to it, we probably had like six that you would really look at and be like, well, that was a game where we had a decent group of our guys. And we still were missing some. For the entire season, we missed Chris Herndon. Quincy Nunwa, Avery Williamson, and C.J. Mosley. And ladies and gentlemen, whether I like to admit it or not, this season is coming to an end and coming quickly. The final quarter of the season and the first game played of that final quarter against the division rival, Miami Dolphins. The New York Jets win this game 22-21. to And they don't, they don't look great the whole game. Neither team does. The Dolphins are all over the place. They're getting it to Allen Hearns early. We kind of slow him down. Then they start moving Isaiah forward. He starts getting it later on. They can't run the ball very well. The Jets are a great run defense, but somehow Ryan Fitzpatrick runs for like 70 yards on a crazy high yard per carry average and, and knocks us from the number one ranked defense in the league to the number two ranked rush defense in the league. And that's a bummer because that was a number that I was pretty proud to hold on to. And it's going to be tough to maintain it or get it back playing against the Baltimore Ravens. But it was weird. And the Dolphins got in the red zone six times and they ended up getting Seven field goals. No touchdowns in the entire game. Talk about bend, don't break. The New York Jets allowed them to get down the field over and over again, but never allowed them to get in the end zone. They scored 21 points. They missed one field goal. And that was a scoop there. New York Jets, you know, they played a more balanced style game. They weren't flashy in any respect. The only player that really stood out on offense was Robbie Anderson. He had a great game. He did have one interesting sort of play where he... You know, went superhero mode and tried to jump over a defender on the Miami Dolphins. Fumbled the ball. Luckily, it went out of bounds. But other than that, really good game from Robbie Anderson. So he's strung together some good weeks. The running game, we didn't have Le'Veon Bell. Bilal Powell's doing pretty well. He's getting some yardage. Ty Montgomery's mixed in. Sam Darnold, he has a pretty modest conservative game, spreading the ball around. No receivers really standing out. Ryan Griffin gets injured early. We're using Daniel Brown as our main tight end for this one. The offensive line is protecting pretty well but not great. They're not making huge holes for the running game, which has been maybe the biggest issue all year. I mean, I complain about the pass protection. It sucks. A lot of times Sam Darnold's getting smacked around, but they never have good run run uh, blocking. I mean, sometimes they can do an all right job and keep Sam upright, but it doesn't seem like they ever make a big hole. And you can blame Le'Veon Bell. You can say that he doesn't have what he had before, that he's having an off year. But if we're being honest as New York Jets fans, we know how good Bilal Powell can be for the New York Jets, especially coming in with fresh legs as the backup running back. When you see him come out and have an under four yard per carry average, you just think to yourself, this isn't this isn't a Powell issue. This is an offensive line issue because we know what he can do. We know that he hits the hole hard. And frankly, they just aren't there. So we didn't move the ball super well in this game. 
kind of sloppy. There were some weird calls. I think the Jets had, you know, the bad end of the stick on a lot of calls in this game. But then at the end of the game, got, I wouldn't call it a makeup call, but they had that pass interference call that gave them a extended drive on third and 17. So that was a little strange. But the big thing in this one of the entire game, the big thing was that Sam Darnold led two comeback drives, essentially two game-winning drives. We had the lead, 16-15, to 15, late in the game. With about seven minutes to go, the Dolphins score. Sam Darnold gets the ball back seven minutes. He has to score. We're now down 16-18. to 18. He's got to get us down there. He finds a way. Great drive from him. Throwing Robbie Anderson specifically. Gets us in field goal range. Made kick from Sam Ficken. We're back up 19-18. to 18. Dolphins get the ball back. They run down the field. A couple penalties. A couple wild things there. Maybe some some bad phantom calls. But the Dolphins get a field goal. Jets use their timeouts. Dolphins are up 21-19 to 19 with a minute 30 to go. No timeouts. Sam Darnold gets the ball on his own 25-yard line and leads us down the field. One play from big play Vince. And then the, the pass interference on Vince. I mean, it wasn't a super beautiful last drive. A lot of it was yards after catch from Vincent Smith and then the big pass interference call. But Sam Darnold put us in a position to do that. And the right throws, the right time, making the right reads, getting into your playmaker's hands and giving them a chance to win the game, that's how you do it. Not running around, scrambling in the backfield and just hawking it up in the air, hawking it out of bounds like we've seen so many games end as New York Jets fans for the past 20 years or more. Just getting it, you know, going back, getting in the guy's hands. Vincent Smith, even if he got tackled there, he was going to get out of bounds. It was still a good sideline throw. He ended up getting a broken tackle, goes down the sideline, and it has us basically in field goal range from there. Now, Sam Darnold took a bad sack, almost cost us, but we ended up making the field goal, winning this game 22-21, to and I'm excited about it. Again, I've always said it, I don't want a draft pick, I want to win games, especially when it's against the Miami Dolphins, a division rival, I don't care how bad they are, I don't want to lose to the Dolphins, like have we forgotten what the AFC East is, all of a sudden we're just so confused and, and so lost on this season. Just everything's about Adam Gase and about these trade rumors and we got to get it all, you know. No, this is the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. Lifelong rivals and we play twice a year. I'll be, I'll be damn upset if we don't win one of them. I want to win too. We lost the first one, we win this one. Thank goodness. Feels good to win. Maybe I'm happier than most for five and eight. But this week it's not so bad. The game winning drives is the biggest thing I could have possibly seen from Sam. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities like this. A lot of times he gets the ball back, we're down, and he's like got, you know, 40 seconds left, no timeouts, and we're down by two scores, and he just tries to huck it, gets intercepted. That happened a lot last year. This year, he hasn't had a ton of opportunities to come back and win games. And he finally got one in this game. I was actually kind of rooting for it. When Miami was was uh, taking that kick to take the lead with a minute 30, I said to my dad and, and roommate Kyle, we were watching the game, I said, I kind of hope he makes this kick right now. And they looked at me like I'm crazy. Like, no, we got to win this game. I said, I trust in Sam and I want to see him with the ball in his hand. I want to see what he can do. And sure enough, he didn't let me down. So this guy is an absolute golden god. Winning games, division rivals, Miami Dolphins, Sam Darnold coming out here, doing what he's got to do. Sam Ficken drilling kicks and the New York Jets win. Now it was ugly for most of the game. We're going to get into a little bit of coaching here. Adam Gase, we'll start with him. It, I thought it was weird. My biggest thing with Adam Gase in this game, I thought it was weird that he just accepted a 44-yard kick from Sam Ficken a guy that I've never seen make a game-winning kick. It was like, I don't know what it was. It was like 30 seconds left. We didn't have any timeouts. And instead of trying to pick up like 10 yards, 
He just let the clock run down and said, we're just going to stop it at three seconds and give Sam Pickin a kick and let him go from 44 yards. And it was a little peculiar to me because I've never seen him kick. I don't trust Sam Pickin. When we're watching this, it's like, he's not going to make that. I said it before it happened. This guy's not going to make this kick. I know he's not. I don't trust him at all. But lo and behold, Adam Gase was right. And hindsight's 2020. You go back in hindsight, at the time, whatever you want to do, it was the right call because the New York Jets won the game. We did exactly what we had to do. Now, is Sam Ficken going to make that kick every time? I don't think so. He definitely won't make it every time. But he did this game. Adam Gase put him in a position. He believed in him. And he gave him his first, as far as I know, his first game-winning kick of his career. So pretty awesome thing there. And then Gase, I mean, he was a little stale, I think, early on. Um, kind of the same vanilla run offense, the same run schemes. We don't do a lot of pulling with our guards. We don't do a lot of pitches, handoffs, outside runs, off tackles, not a lot of counters. It's basically up the one, two, three, and four hole between the center and guards. Bilal, Paul, Ty Montgomery, Le'Veon Bell, whoever it is. He doesn't seem to mix it up too much. And I think that gets a little bit frustrating. Sometimes he does, you know, more creative stuff like end arounds, bubble screens. He's done a flea flicker this year, a couple tricky sort of plays like that. And every time he does it, we're kind of like, wow, there it is. There's that creative genius that we're supposed to see. But, you know, every team runs some of those plays. And frankly, we don't run very many. We can go entire games without running any tricky plays. And this was one of those games that nothing seemed all that creative or out of the box. It was just basic vanilla offense. Now, the blocking was all right. Sam Darnold had time. He had a decent game. Not great. The receivers, you know, they're not having huge years. The running backs not having huge years. The offensive line across the board, it's just not clicking in all the right phases. So it does get stale for a while. Adam Gase was uh, was guilty of that in this game. Stayed stale for a while. We did get two touchdowns, one to Robbie, one to Demarius Thomas. And then the big thing for Gase was the two comebacks because he, you know, he led those, he coached those. He's the offensive coordinator. You can say what you want about him. If you're going to give Sam Darnold and the offense credit for going down there and getting two comebacks, which I will, then you got to give it to Adam Gase too because he's the guy in the headset. He's the guy calling the plays and making it happen. So good job from him. Him and Sam Darnold on those last two drives when it was like, do or die, got to get it done. They got it done. Defensively, Triple G Greg Williams had a monstrous game. I know the Dolphins scored 21 points, which is a decent amount. I know they ran for 112 yards, which is way more, or maybe even 122 yards, which is way more than we usually give up. Puts us from the number one ranked rush defense to the number two. But Greg Williams, with so many patchwork defensive backs, was able to keep the Miami Dolphins from scoring a single touchdown. On six red zone tries, the Dolphins didn't score a single touchdown. Other than Ryan Fitzpatrick running, they didn't run the ball effectively. Alan Hearns got hot early on. We took him out of the game. Nate Harrison ended up getting a pick on him as they were forcing the ball to him early. They ended up moving to Ford, but we weren't too worried about him. Ryan Fitzpatrick did not tear us up. He did not do as well as he did against us the first time we played them. And Greg Williams limited them to 21 points, 7 field goals. Now, an average person, not part of this Jets fan base, would probably look at it and be like, well, the Dolphins scored 21 points and they got in the red zone 6 times, so... You know, your defense isn't playing that great. But when you look at what was happening in that defensive backfield specifically, I mean, we've had injuries all year. We've had excuses. We've had whatever it is, you name it. This has been the season from hell. But this week, specifically, the best player all season on this team, aside from Sam Darnold, is Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams not playing in this game. So he's a guy that is your big impact player, your big spark plug, your most effective player on defense. Take him out of the game. Who are you going to put at safety? Daryl Roberts. 
you're going to put him at free safety, move Marcus May to strong safety, which Marcus May has not been tackling very well, but I guess he's still better than Daryl Roberts. Daryl Roberts has played free safety before, but struggled, so that's a mess to begin with. Then you got Brian Poole, your best cornerback out. You don't have a slot cornerback, so you're going back to Nate Hairston. You're putting Blashawn Austin, who's still a rookie. He's only played in like three games now. You're putting him out there to play 100% of snaps. You're taking Kyron Brown, a preseason guy, to come off of the practice squad and play 100% of snaps of you, for you until he gets injured. And then you've got to put in Maurice Kennedy, a guy that you just picked up a couple weeks ago from, that was cut from the Baltimore Ravens, and you've got to throw him into the game. So you're operating with cornerbacks of Maurice Kennedy, Kyron Brown, who leaves the game, Nate Hairston, who's been benched this year. He was actually benched for Trumaine Johnson at one point. LaShawn Austin, totally unproven. And Daryl Roberts at safety, with Marcus May basically trying to play the Jamal Adams role. We don't even have Arthur Mollette for this game. We were missing Arthur Mollette for a game. That's crazy to say. And Greg Williams somehow was able to do enough to stop Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy that, you know, has given the league trouble for years and gave the Jets trouble the first time we played him. Ryan Fitzpatrick is no slouch. He knows how to find his receivers. That helped us that Devontae Parker went out early. He's their best weapon receiving. And he had a concussion, left the game. Ryan Fitzpatrick lost him. But other than that, I mean, <laughs> you can't tell me that our cornerbacks on paper match up well against the Miami Dolphins with those safeties playing. So with those guys, we limited them. Seven field goals, 21 points. We only got two sacks in this game, both by Jordan Jenkins. That was a pretty solid performance. But overall, Greg Williams, he did what he had to do, and he's, you know, He's made more out of nothing than any coach I've ever seen on the New York Jets sideline. Greg Williams is currently at God-tier level. He can do anything with anybody. I'm, I'm convinced right now you can put in any middle linebacker, any defensive lineman, and any secondary, and he's going to find a way to have a pretty, pretty successful game. Now, from time to time, you'll play against a team like the Patriots, Ravens, some really good teams. They're probably going probably gonna to tear you apart. It's going to happen from time to time. But he's going to be able to make those guys come together and have some good performances. Probably more than half. You know, it's incredible. You can't make this stuff up. And he's proven to me that he's one of those guys you just have to have back in 2020. I know that he's probably going to be getting some looks for some other teams. From what... How could you not want to have him be your defensive coordinator at the very least? Possibly a head coaching job for the job that he's doing here. But we need to bring him back because, honestly, if he's there coaching the defense, I get to the point where it's like, you get a couple guys healthy, C.J. Mosley, Every Williamson. Other than that, you could tell me you neglect the defense and free agency. You can neglect it in the draft, and I'll still feel pretty good about this unit going in because I've seen Greg Williams do work with a lot less. I don't think he's ever going to be as shorthanded as he's been this year. And he's making it happen, so kudos to Greg Williams. See what he can do against the Ravens this week, right? All right, so before we move over to player performances specifically, we're going to take a quick pit stop at a cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is What's on Tap, the section of the podcast where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording this episode. And today I got something a little fun. I got a little local flavor IPA coming at me from New England Brewing Company up in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Been there. Wonderful brewery. I've actually rated some of the brews that they've made uh, on this podcast before. But this week I had a birthday and both roommate Kyle and girlfriend Shannon gifted me the exact same New England style India Pale Ale, something that I love. It's a 12 fluid ounce can called G-Bot. Double India Pale Ale. 8.5% alcohol in this little 12 ounce can. G-Bot is an absolute treat 
for anybody who loves a dark, danky, boozy IPA. And this one is, it's up there. It's good. It used to be called Gandhi Bot and had a picture of Gandhi as like a war machine destroying civilization, but they ended up getting told they couldn't name their beer Gandhi Bot. I know, I don't get it either. But they switched it over to G-Bot. So now it's got a picture of what was the war machine Gandhi's hand sticking out of a grave in the ground giving a peace sign. So we still know that it's the same hand of Gandhi from the original can, but they don't show him on there, so it's not as, uh, I guess it's not as offensive. But it's still an absolutely delicious beer brewed by Nebco. This one's great. I mean, it's hard to find. It's not one that's in cans very often. It's one that you, I usually go to the brewery to get it, and I get it in either like a growler or just drink it at the brewery. But they both found it. They both knew I'd love it. And it's it's tasty. I mean, it's hoppy. It's got really strong, nice hoppy flavors. It's smooth. It leaves a little bitterness on the back of your tongue, which I actually kind of like in a beer like this. And at 8.5% alcohol, you're definitely getting a bang for your buck. I mean, you don't have to drink too many of these things. You get a six-pack, you get half of that. You're going to be feeling all right. Especially if, uh, like, like me, you haven't eaten anything all day and... You just come home from work and start eating beer. And that is part of what makes this podcast so much fun. So that is what's on tap. Thank you both to roommate Kyle and girlfriend Shannon for the wonderful G-Bot beers from Nebco. When making this pot, it was a slam dunk picking that one from the fridge. When I was looking at it, I was like, G-Bot, of course. The old classic. So that is what's on tap. Before we move on, quick commercial. All right, folks, welcome back. Next order of business, I was going to do player performances. I think I want to do team stats first. I want to talk about this. The team stats in this game are actually super interesting. We always talk about the same basic ones. We focus on possession, turnovers, penalties, third down efficiency. Those are the ones that I always like to kind of highlight. But when you look through the list of this one, it is so ridiculously even. And it makes sense because it was a 21-22 to game. Now, the Dolphins scored more frequently, but with less points. The Jets, they had some really big penalties, some costly plays. They ended up getting more touchdowns, but the final score was a one-point game. And when you look at this, you're like, holy moly, this was almost an identical game from both teams. So let me just read through the list because they're all the same. First downs. Both teams had exactly 22 first downs. Total yards in this game, the Dolphins had 362. The Jets had a slight 12-yard edge with 374. That close. Dolphins had 5.6 yards per play. Jets had 5.4. Now, when you break up the yardage from both teams, the Dolphins passed for 240. The Jets passed for 262. We both threw one interception. Dolphins were sacked twice. We were sacked once. They rushed for 122. We rushed for 112. Penalties. They had five. We had five. Difference is they had 48 total penalty yardage. We had 88 total penalty yardage. We mentioned the interceptions before. Those were the only ones. One turnover apiece. Time of possession. 30 minutes and 6 seconds for the Dolphins, 29 minutes, 54 seconds for the New York Jets. A 10-second differential in time of possession. Now, third down efficiency, Dolphins 4 for 13, Jets 5 for 13. So slightly better, but as we always talk, 38% this week, it's not as good as we want to see. We want to see above 41%. That would put us like, you know, a top 10 team in the league basically is a little bit ahead of 41%, which is where we peak. And then we have lulls down to like 30, this week 38%. I mean, when you go through that stuff, it's that's unreal even. I mean, you can find any category. Yards per pass, 6.2 to 7.1. Even that's pretty close. Total plays, 65 plays to 69 plays. 
it's remarkable how similar these stats ended up being. And the score shows it. It was a totally different style game from both teams. It was a quarterback running for the Dolphins and a bunch of field goals. For the New York Jets, it was trying to throw the ball downfield. It was trying to run up the middle with the same players over and over again. A little different style, but almost the same result. So that was kind of crazy. Wanted to highlight those things. Um, now we can move over to the player stats. And in this one, we had some really good players, some players that stood out. We had a couple poor performances, but for the most part, I mean, it's a winning effort, so you're not going to be too upset. And you got to remember that we have so many dudes missing for this one. I mean, we're like missing guys like Arthur Mollette right now. We'll leave aside Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams, Brian Poole, CJ Mosley, Avery Williamson, Chris Herndon, Quincy Anunwa. You can go through the list, and it's unbelievable how many players we're missing right now. People act like... Well, what's up with the New York Jets? How come they can't get it going? I mean, they should be good on every single drive. It's like because we didn't pick these players to be our starters for a reason because we knew they weren't good enough to go into a season and win games. Now they're forced to play or they're picked up off practice squads or even from the streets and we're putting them on the field. And it's like, if when you went into the season, these guys weren't good enough to win you games, then why would you have them now playing on the field and think that they should be good enough to win you games? It just doesn't really make any sense. So it's very tough sledding for the New York Jets. You don't want the entire season to be one big excuse, but this season really deserves one big excuse because I've never seen more illnesses, injuries, and freak things happen to a team than than it happened this season. It's been like that. But for the guys that did play, let's highlight them. And we'll start with the boy, Sam Darnold, who led those two huge comeback drives and absolutely wowed us with his grace and amazing skill. Sam Darnold, 64%. It wasn't his greatest performance of all time, but it was modest, it was solid, and it got the job done, especially when it mattered. 64% completion percentage for 270 yards. The guy had an 86 quarterback rating with two touchdowns. One bad interception we wish he didn't throw. He missed a touchdown to Robbie Anderson in the front of the end zone at the end of the game that if he was like three yards shorter, it probably would have been right in his hands, dropped in that bread basket. Didn't get that. Would have been nice to see. But overall, Sam Darnold was, was doing enough to move the ball down the field, especially when it mattered, like we mentioned. He wasn't sacked too many times. There was actually pretty decent coverage on the Jets receivers today. Um, We were missing Ryan Griffin, our starting tight end. Well, you know, our starting backup tight end for Chris Herndon. Ryan Griffin's out, so we end up going to Daniel Brown. Not a great look there. We don't have Le'Veon Bell, so it's Bilal Powell. Definitely a downgrade there. As much as I love Powell, Le'Veon Bell's like, you know, one of those great players of the league. Bilal Powell is a very serviceable, hardworking Jets veteran. So missing that. Um, This week, we actually had Vincent Smith basically split time with Demarius Thomas, which usually we see it be Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder as your one and two. But this week, Demarius Thomas and Vincent Smith basically split time. And the week, when it came to receiving, was really led by Robbie Anderson, who had a really nice game. He was targeted by far the most of any Jet. 11 targets in this game. The next most was Jameson Crowder with seven. But Robbie Anderson had seven receptions to lead the team, 116 yards to lead the team, a touchdown. He had a 39 yard, which is the longest of the game. He had a 16.6 yard per catch average, and he was catching balls. He was tightly covered, catching balls up high, catching them down low, coming back to get them deep, running across, getting first downs. I mean, he was doing good work with his seven catches and 116 yards. He got the touchdown, kind of caught open, split two defenders, got into the end zone. I mean, it was a really nice game from Robbie Anderson. He's strung a bunch of these together now. He's either getting touchdowns or 100 yard performances or close like the last four weeks. And it started to make me realize as I'm watching, it's like, he's a free agent after this year, and teams are going to want him. And I'm not sure how many games we have left. We have three games left this season. If he signs elsewhere, it's possible the guy we drafted 
an undrafted free agent, and we brought through the ranks and had great preseason and built him up to here. This guy may not be on our team for any more than three games. And I'm going to be honest with you, it started really bumming me out. I started like sitting back just thinking about all the great things we've done with Robbie Anderson, the great plays he's had, his celebrations, his funny quotes and things. As I'm sitting about him, I decided I was inspired. Christmas season coming up, time to give back. Robbie Anderson, the end of who knows what's going to happen. I wrote a poem for Robbie Anderson, and I want to read it to you all today. And uh, I'm going to send it to Robbie Anderson as well. I hope he likes it, and I hope you like it as well. It's called Tis the Season to Sign Robbie by Daniel Burnham. Sam snapped the ball. To his left was a flash. Two spotlight white shoes took off in a dash. With a quick burst of speed and a ball dropped from heaven, left a man with a touchdown. It was number 11. A young kid from Temple who grew up in Jersey now had DBs league-wide yelling, What speed? Have mercy! As an undrafted player, no one knew if he'd make it. But just four short years later, he'd become a fan favorite. He's got heart, he's got skill, and he'll never complain. Robbie's a guy you can just tell loves the game. A wideout with speed mixed with hands that are great. He loves football, his fans, and when the sun stay out late. And much like a jet, the time has flown by. But with Robbie, it's too soon to say our goodbyes. So what do you say? Come on, New York Jets. Let's put pen to paper and have no regrets. End scene. So yeah, that's a little poem that I worked up for Robbie Anderson. I was inspired by him. He's one of my favorite players in the New York Jets. Uh, he's come a long way since being an undrafted free agent. And at this point, like he's now one of these guys that we're wondering to ourselves, like, are we going to be able to afford him? How much money is he going to ask for? Because he's earned that. He started from an undrafted dude from Temple. And now, rising through the ranks of the New York Jets, last man standing after all these Deckers, Marshals, and everybody else is blown away. Robbie Anderson's there, and it's like, yeah, he may ask for like $12, 13000000 million. Yeah. Guy's done well. He's earned it. And I hope he's paid it by the New York Jets. I don't want to overpay. Of course, every business decision needs to be smart. It needs to make sense for both people. But let's keep him here. I mean, he could be one of those all-time New York Jets wide receivers. He could be up on that list with Toon, Maynard, Corbett. Why can't he? Robbie Anderson, Sam Darnold, The Connection, let's keep it going. And if a poem that I write is what makes the difference, then so be it. If he decides that that is just so heartfelt and warming that he now must resign with the New York Jets at a fraction of the cost, well, then I feel like I did my job. That is what this whole podcast has been working towards. But in the meantime, let's talk about the other wide receivers on the team. Vincent Smith, a.k.a. Big Play Vince, as he's known as in my household, because it seems like the only time he touches the ball, it's a big play. He had like one of those first touchdowns of the season on an end around. He's had a big kickoff return. Now, he's had some drops. He's had some fumbles and things like that. But Big Play Vince, when he gets the ball in his hands, league beware. He only had one catch in this game for 37 yards. He was our second leading yardage receiver in this game, and it was that one play on that final drive that Sam Darnold threw to him on the sideline. He stayed in bounds like a track star, dodged a dude, broke a tackle, got 37 yards, got us into field goal range, and the New York Jets win the game. He also was the player that was interfered with on the pass interference call that got us the first down on third and 17 and kept that drive alive. So good job by him, I guess. Jameson Crowder. He's been quiet recently. Three catches for 30 yards on seven targets. That's not as good as he was doing. I mean, he was Sam's favorite target. He had a lot of people saying, you know, Jameson Crowder has basically stepped in as the Jets' number one wide receiver option. But right when everyone started thinking that, right when Jameson Crowder had kind of been the guy, it went right to Robbie Anderson. And recently, 
it's like Robbie's the guy. Clearly, he is the receiver on this team. I think we need to get one more guy in free agency or the draft to pair with Jameson Crowder. You do Robbie Anderson and one new young guy. And then maybe, like, as your other people, you got a Vincent Smith and a Quincy Anunua if he can be healthy. And Braxton Barrios is your punt returner. I think that's a pretty legitimate squad right there. And hope they do something like that. Other receivers in this game, Demarius Thomas. He had the touchdown in this game. It was a controversial play because it seemed like he almost fumbled it. But when you looked at it, he had the ball. He had possession before the goal line, crossed the goal line with the ball. And when that happens, after you've got complete possession, it's touchdown. So they gave him the touchdown. Two catches, 28 yards, and that big TD score. Ty Montgomery had a few catches, three for 30. Not a bad game from Ty. Pretty quiet. I mean, he, he with Le'Veon Bell out, he got more opportunities. He played a little bit of receiver in this game. He got some handoffs. Wasn't an amazing game from him, but, you know, he, he did his part. He pitched in a little bit. It wasn't a huge offensive showing from the New York Jets in this game. It just wasn't. We didn't rush the ball super effectively. We didn't throw the ball super effectively. We just did enough to win the game. Blah Powell, two catches, 14 yards. Daniel Brown, when he came in for Ryan Griffin, one catch for seven yards. Before he went out, Ryan Griffin, one catch for eight yards. That's what our boys did there. Running the football, yeah, it was a little bit of tough sledding, but you know what? It always is. As a team, 3.5 yards per carry. Bilal Powell filled in for Le'Veon Bell, 19 carries for 74 yards, a long of 11, and a 3.9 yard per carry average. That looks like almost identical to what Le'Veon Bell's games look like. When you combine that with his two catches for 14 yards, he had like 90 total scrimmage yards on 21 touches. That's like almost identical to what Le'Veon Bell does. Maybe a little worse. Le'Veon Bell usually has a little bit more receiving impact in the game. And the Dolphins are one of the worst run defenses in the league. So unless you're blaming Bilal Powell and like, well, Le'Veon Bell's not had a great year. And Bilal Powell also, he can't get anything done against even a bad defense. Unless you think that just everybody that's running the ball for the New York Jets is trash, which Le'Veon Bell and Bilal Powell both are bad. I find that pretty hard to believe. You really got to realize it's this offensive line. They can't open up a whole worth squat. And we ended this game with 112 rushing yards. You know, Ty Montgomery... Low yard per carry average, but he had nine carries for 31 yards. Between him and Bell, or him and Powell, that was over 100 yards. Robbie Anderson, he had a run in this game for four yards, little minimal thing. Sam Darnold, you know, he does those little tuck and runs. Three carries for three yards. They weren't really carries. They were just, like, not throwaways. But it really comes down to the offensive line, and they pass protected for Sam pretty well. Sam Darnold was only sacked one time in this entire game, minus eight. It was a big sack at the end of the game that almost cost us. But other than that, they kept him upright. I mean, he rolled out a little bit. He moved in the pocket. I think that he was a little bit more nervous back there than he needed to be. I think he rushed it a little bit more. I think they didn't get him on the move quite as much as I'd like. And sometimes when there's less pressure on him, he doesn't get to do the improvising quite as much because he actually moves really well in the pocket when there's pressure. Now, I'm not saying that I want pressure on him because it doesn't go well when a bunch of guys get through. But when it's slow, methodical pressure coming in here and there, he usually does a pretty good job at picking it up, rolling out, and those are the plays where he usually finds big yardage. So you're never going to wish for something like that. It just didn't quite happen in this game, and it's something that's kind of a theme with Sam Darnold. So we're happy with the fact that he was upright. He didn't get injured. Other than the mono, Sam Darnold stayed injured or stayed healthy this year. He was stepped on on his pinky once, but that was a small thing. Other than that, he stayed healthy. But the run blocking from that old line I mean, we got our new unit right now. It's Beecham, Lewis, Jonathan Harrison. Tom Compton, and Brandon Shell. Chuma Adoga's still out. Ryan Khalil's been replaced, IR'd. Brian Winters, IR'd. Kalecio Semele's gone. It's the only real guy that you could switch in 
would be Chuma Adoga if he came back. There's not many options for this offensive line right now. At least not anybody that you've heard of or seen play for the New York Jets before. So this is kind of what we have. And it's not the worst unit that we've had. But it just seems like some units are better at pass protecting than others. This one seems to be a little bit better. But they are no better at run blocking. They just aren't. And that's why offensive line has to be the biggest focus in next year's draft. We need to pass protect better for Sam because he's damn good when he has time. But we also need to make sure that we can open up lanes because he's damn good in play action. He's one of the best play action quarterbacks in the league. And it's super effective, but you have to be able to run the ball. I mean, play action just looks stupid if you haven't run the ball. If you're running for one yard every time. It's like, oh, look at that. He faked a one-yard run. That's that's nothing. But when you're getting big gash gains, you got a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who I'm convinced will be a New York Jet next year. You can say whatever you want. Le'Veon Bell is going to be a New York Jet. He signed a contract. He wants to be here. He's too good a player. They're going to find a way to make it work with him. They're not trading him away. So let's just put an end to those rumors right now. When he's here playing with the New York Jets and there's holes opening up for him, he's picking up 9, 10, 15, 20-yard gainers on the reg. Sam Darnold's going to have time, play action, throwing it around. It's going to be a thing of beauty. The best passing performances we've ever seen in the New York Jets. But it's going to require an offensive line. So we got to draft it. That's the big issue there. Offensively, 22 points, the two touchdowns, both thrown by Sam Darnold, one to Robbie, one to Demarius Thomas. A few field goals and a missed extra point. And that is how the New York Jets score 22 points to beat the Dolphins 22-21. to Now, before I move over to the player performances on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to do our last commercial of the episode and drink a little bit more G-Bot. Alrighty, folks, it is officially smooth sailing from here. With that final commercial out of the way, let's talk New York Jets defense. And in this one, the defensive line played really well. They stopped the Miami Dolphins running game. It was Patrick Laird. It wasn't a bunch of guys that we know running for the Miami Dolphins. Not the best offensive line you ever seen, but we did a really good job against them. The big issue in this one was Ryan Fitzpatrick ran for way more yardage than Ryan Fitzpatrick should ever run for. And he had one of his best rushing games of his entire career. Found little alleys here and there. He went hero ball like you'd never believe a guy as old as him would do. And it went to the tune of 122 yards. Other than that, they played really good run defense. They kept the rest of the players in the team under 3.5 yards per carry. Good performances from the guys up front. Quinn Williams was playing really well before he got injured. I know he's one of those kind of hot-button guys right now. People are Some people are saying he's a, he's a bust. He's not doing as much as he should do for this guy. Other people are saying he's really doing stuff. It's silent numbers. Some people are comparing him to Leonard Williams. Listen, the kid is super young. He's not full-grown yet. He's going to be really good. We just got to keep him healthy. And when he's out there, like in this game, he makes an impact. One bad face max penalty, and then the injury. Those are bummers. But he basically forced the interception to James Burgess that had a horrible, horrible call against James Burgess. And then he technically didn't even catch the ball. And then technically he was also down when he caught it. So it wasn't a pick six. But if it all went the right way, that was Quinn Williams doing. Hit a couple nice tackles. And then uh, and he made, his, he made his presence felt in the limited snaps. And then he was out for the game. So he did well. The guys that came in, Steve McClendon, he had a nice game. Big tackle for a loss. Big Steve's looking good. Apparently fired the guys up prior to the game, and he's one of those guys that you're happy to have back in green and white next year because he's just an awesome locker room guy, great team leader. Big game from him. Foley Fadakasi, he stood out on a few plays. He's still looking good, a guy that you feel pretty confident going to war with now. Someone that this time last year it was like, ooh, Foley Fadakasi, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be a New York Jet. And now you're looking at it, and it's like, no question he's going to be back next year, and he's going to be an impact player for us. A lot of minutes from Nathan Shepard. He's getting decent, just decent... Uh, 
effectiveness in the run game. He's been quiet in the past uh, past uh, rushing, but you know, he just kind of had one quick flash two weeks in a row earlier this season. Other than that, he's been pretty quiet, but still solid against the run. Um, one bad personal foul penalty probably shouldn't have been called. Henry Anderson, he's kind of all over the field. He's one that's more than happy to get in there on the big pile and tackle a running back. I mean, all these guys, Kyle Phillips, you put them together on that defensive line, they are all what's creating hell for every running back we face. There is a reason that the Jets have the number two ranked run defense in the league, would be number one if not for Ryan Fitzpatrick and his weird enthusiasm for the game. Defensive line, they're doing a pretty solid job. They don't get after the quarterback. We know that. Edge rusher would be great. When you go to the edge on this team, Terrell Basham, he's been really quiet recently. He had a really good start to the season, slowed down a bit, not getting after the quarterback nearly as much as he was. Brandon Copeland, after coming back from suspension, he's been pretty quiet, not quite as effective as he was last year. But the other side, Jordan Jenkins, this guy had two sacks this week. He leads the team in sacks right now, seven, ties his career high. I've said it a bunch of times in this podcast, Jordan Jenkins is the best pass rusher on the New York Jets. I mean, Jamal Adams... You know, you could say he's a better pass rusher, but a lot of times he doesn't get blocked. He's coming off the side. He's one of those people that, like, you don't account for. An outside linebacker slash defensive end of Jordan Jenkins, he's a guy that the offensive line always accounts for. He's not a guy that's getting picked up by the running back like Jamal Adams is. So Jordan Jenkins is one of those guys that can shed blocks. We know he can set the edge really well, but he gets after the quarterback. And right now, I mean, he's got three games left, seven sacks. He has the potential of getting his first double-digit sack season ever. And it's a contract year for him. So pretty good performance from him. The two sacks, the only two of the entire game. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys to keep an eye on for the rest of this year. Big evaluation year. What's he going to be worth? He's one of those interesting guys that, like, he doesn't show up on the stat sheet a lot. He doesn't make a ton of plays. But he does lead the team in sacks, like, in the last two years in a row. He gets after the quarterback. He sets a pretty good edge. And you start to wonder, like, what is seven sacks worth? Is it worth $7 million, $8 million? What would another team offer him? And you don't want to overpay. You don't want to get stuck in a bidding war either. It's one of those guys that you'd like to bring back. Middle linebacker, James Burgess stuffed the stat sheet, but he had an up and down game. He had some penalties. He had like two or three penalties in this one. He had a missed tackle. He also had like a really nice pass defense. He almost had a pick six. I mean, he didn't. He dropped the ball and stepped out of, and was touched before running. He had like 13 tackles in this game. A couple tackles for a loss. So when you look at it, it's like, wow, James Burgess is really stepping up. But I want to remind everybody that when Neville Hewitt was in the same position that he was, Blake Cashman next to him, Neville Hewitt was having those same numbers. When C.J. Mosley was there, he was having even better numbers. Avery Williamson, he'd be having those numbers. The way that the defensive line plays, the way Greg Williams schemes the defense, it's all set to make the middle linebacker have a successful game. Now, he does put them in coverage a little bit more than we probably like. Neville Hewitt and James Burgess are covering tight ends, running backs, and even sometimes receivers more than you're like, you're like what are these guys? They can't cover very well. But again... It's patchwork defensive work with band-aids all over the field for Greg Williams. He's doing what he can. It was never supposed to be linebacker four and six starting for the New York Jets. He's trying to make it work, and he's doing a pretty good job. James Burgess, the beneficiary, with 13 total tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, pass defended. One of the guys that had a pretty a pretty good game that I want to point out when you move away from the linebackers, you go to that secondary. Daryl Roberts. He didn't do a horrible job filling in at free safety, and he wasn't a very good free safety last year. We knew that he was much better suited for cornerback. It was a, a mess having him back there when Marcus May was injured. But he came in for a week, a spot hopefully that will either get Matthias Farley back or Jamal Adams soon. 
and Daryl Roberts can go back to playing cornerback or being on the bench or whatever. But he played serviceable minutes. We didn't get beat on too many deep, big, long plays in this game. Marcus May was able to play a little bit more of a Jamal Adams role, which he wasn't super successful at. Nowhere near as good as Jamal Adams. Kind of weird the way they were moving him up into the box more frequently and keeping Daryl Roberts back. But, you know, again, so shorthanded. Even our backup safety, Matthias Farley and Rontez Miles, are both injured, couldn't play in this game. The guy that, like, would have been coming in from our practice squad who knows the team, Doug Middleton, was just signed by the Jaguars, so he can't come in. So it's like, all right, well, what do you got to do? You got to play a cornerback. But Arthur Mollett's injured, Trumaine Johnson, Brian Poole, and it's it's... Kyron Brown gets injured in this game. You don't have a ton of options. Daryl Roberts goes back there. Serviceable. Didn't get lit up. Ryan Fitzpatrick's a guy that you'd think could do it. Pretty good. Bless Austin played 100% of snaps in this game for like the third week in a row. He had a pretty good game. He got beat on a couple plays. Missed a tackle. Had a bad... He, he had a, a very costly pass interference penalty. But I honestly thought that it was kind of a BS call because the wide receiver, as Blashawn Austin, he's face guarding. He's not looking at the ball at all but the receiver just hugs him and kind of like pulls him into him. And it just made it look a lot worse than it was. And it's like, if the, if the roles were reversed and a receiver was running downfield and a cornerback just hugged Blashawn, uh, hugged the wide receiver, that would be a pass interference on them. And the rule is supposed to be the same for both sides. So I was interested, like that could have potentially been an offensive pass interference. They called it on bless. So that was a big, uh, a big costly penalty. Other than that, you know, pretty, he's not been exposed too much. I'll say that. He's not been exposed. And for a young guy, we haven't seen him picked on a ton. We haven't seen a, a bunch of really good plays from him. It's not like he's got this big montage of New York Jets great plays. Um, but he's not he's not failing. And so the longer he can do that, gain confidence, learn the game, the better we're going to be. The other side, Nate Hairston came in for some plays. He had a pick. He had a missed tackle. A couple messy plays in there. A couple really good plays from Nate Hairston. A couple nice tackles getting in the box as well. Um, so up and down performance from him. What do you expect from these guys that are so deep on the on the list? Kyron Brown, he came in. He was doing all right, probably getting picked on the most of all of them, but then he ended up getting injured. Kennedy came in, had a couple nice plays, only played like 30% of the snaps when it was all said and done. And uh, that basically rounds out the defense. So we gave up 21 points, but no touchdowns. And that's the big thing. Keeping him out. 0 for 6 in the red zone. That's great. Great red zone. I think it was kind of like, we're going to let him get down the field, kind of. We're going to play defense like with this band-aid patchwork defense we're gonna we're gonna play defense it's not gonna give up a really huge play as they get down the field and then the closer and closer they get to the end zone the more you have defenders from the sidelines in the back of the end zone and you can kind of like tighten things up and it's like all right now we're gonna make our stop and I think we kind of to a level allowed them to move down the field and then really got into our formations when you couldn't get burned for a big play and you know props to Greg Williams for making it work so that was player stats for this game well, I guess we got to do special teams. Special teams, we'll talk about Sam Ficken because Sam Ficken had a heck of a game. He missed the extra point, which sucked because it was the very first touchdown of the game, and right away he missed it. And I'm just talking to my, I'm like, this guy, he's he's clearly not the kicker for the New York Jets, right? I mean, he's been way too spotty. Most recently, he's had misses in field goals, extra points, and it's just like, all right, he's he's not going to be the guy, right? He's not done anything really great for the New York Jets, and he's starting to miss more and more. The more opportunity he gets, the worse he seems to be. But later on. You know, he kicks another extra point, that goes in. He kicks field goals, goes two for two, and then gets an opportunity on a 44-yard field goal with three seconds left to win the game against a division rival after Sam Darnold's awesome drive. Adam Gase has faith in this man, somehow, puts him on the field, just says, we're not going to pick up 10 more yards or five more yards and spike it. We're just going to have you kick it from here. And it was like, well, okay then. 
Sam Ficken comes on the field. Everybody knew he was going to miss it, and he drilled the kick. The New York Jets win, so how can you not be a little bit excited about this guy? I mean, yeah, the extra point sucks. He's got to work on that stuff, but it, just a big confidence builder for him to come in and kick a game-winning field goal. I'm not saying that he should be the kicker for the Jets next year, but I'm saying that he is trending up now because this was a better performance than he's had basically all year, and that's with the missed extra point because he made a game-winning kick, and you can't train for that. You can't practice for that. The Jets haven't given him a single one of those all year. We don't know if he can make a kick with three seconds left. This is it. We win, we lose. You make the kick. And he made it. So props to him. If he missed it, we'd be talking uh, an entirely different conversation right now. Lock Edwards, average game from him, three punts, one inside the 20. Braxton Berrios, he had a nice return, 12 yards. He's actually pretty good, and he was a guy that fumbled the ball um, a bunch of weeks back. He had his first muff punt. They got the ball back, and it was like, oh, you got to worry about this because rookies punt or rookies returning punts fumble the ball. It's like a just a known thing around the NFL. That's just how it goes. But how many of them is he going to fumble? And if he does that, it's like, all right, he's not a good enough receiver really to keep on the roster to be a return man who sometimes fumbles and isn't explosive. He's not explosive. But recently, he's caught the ball every single time. And more recently, every time he catches it, he gets a solid return. 12 yards in this one? I mean, I'm starting to trust him again. And he's a guy that you kind of look forward to. Like, oh, Barris is back there. Let's see if he can get 10, 12, 15 yards. Because it's not super flashy numbers getting 12, 15 yards on a punt return. But it changes everything. The difference between being on the 30-yard line and, like, the 45-yard line midfield is huge. It makes it so much easier. You're basically in field goal range. You're one or two first downs away from scoring points. Or you get a guy that, like, just does fair catches or lets the ball go or runs backwards, JoJo Natson style, catches the ball and starts running two yards backwards to try to pick up, like, I don't know what he's thinking. He's just trying to run away from people regardless of which direction he's going. And then you end up, like, you know... Going from your own 25-yard line, 20-yard line, it's a long field. Braxton Barris has been helping in that respect, so props to him. Uh, kick returning, Ty Montgomery did a few. Nothing too crazy. I think he had like a 29-yard return, but some of that was end zone. And, you know, we, we don't have an amazing return special teams game. We don't have an amazing special teams game in general. Punting, field goal kicking, kick return, punt return. But when you look at the list of, like, it's Sam Ficken, it's Braxton Barrios, it's Ty Montgomery, who was literally fired from... I forget if it was the Packers or the Ravens, but for fumbling the ball in a kick return. It's like the Bad News Bears motley crew of special teamers. And Brant Boyer's doing an all right job, making it work. Even his ace, Joshua Bellamy's injured. So uh, with all the moving parts we've had in starting unit, I mean, we've had moving parts in that special teams unit as well. And he's doing a decent enough job. We're not getting burned on kick returns. Our coverage teams have been pretty good. We've not been blocked on field goals or extra points or, or punts. So, you know, credit to Brant Boyer for doing it short-staffed. We got rid of his guys, Jason Meyer and Andre Roberts. And uh, he deserves a little bit more credit than we're giving him. A very quiet unit. Something you don't, you know, it doesn't jump off the page. Nothing flashy, but Brant Boyer, good job. All right, the next order of business, Father Time. The section of the episode where my father sends me an email submission of his thoughts on the New York Jets from that week. Sends it to me on Monday or Tuesday through email. Whatever he's thinking. He's who I watch all the games with. He's the guy that got me into the New York Jets. He knows a ton about the game, about the New York Jets. Very passionate, smart dude. So, as I always say, any impact we get from him on this podcast is great. One day, maybe we'll get him to come read these things live or send me a voice recording or something that would be slightly better than me reading his words. But for now, we'll take what we can get. This is this week's submission of Father Time, written by David Burnham. So the Jets beat the Dolphins, and I will always root for them to win any game. But for fun, let's look at how the Jets could beat the Ravens on Thursday night. 
Remember, Lamar Jackson has a sore quad. Baltimore medical staff will try not further aggravate. Lamar might be slowed to only lightning speed and discouraged from running at 100% to minimize the chance of hobbling him for the playoffs. Number one, stop Mark Ingram. The Jets are excellent against the run. Maybe the best run defense the Ravens have seen this year. Number two, force Jackson to throw. He's an okay passer, but certainly not his best attribute. With a bum leg, maybe he'll have to throw, not scramble. Number three, the front must maintain their alleys with an organized attack. An unbalanced rush can flush Lamar out of the pocket, giving up easy yardage. If the Jets can shut down the run and force a slow Jackson to throw, this could be closer than some think. But the pocket must crash around Jackson. A tall order. For offense, Gase has to have the best play-calling game of his career. Reverses, bombs, screens, misdirections. Open the playbook. Add some big plays. If the ball bounces our way, no penalties, maybe it's close. Le'Veon has eaten crow before. I hope he has a feast. Get him, Sam. Let it rip. And go Jets. End scene. All right, so that was this week's Father Time by Dave Burnham. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate the submission. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about all the right things, the ways that we can beat the Baltimore Ravens. And he's right. We haven't talked about the Ravens game much yet in this podcast, but Lamar Jackson is hobbled and injured. And that's something that the New York Jets can potentially take advantage of. He's a guy that changes everything. My dad said, you know, running the ball, scrambling, he's great at that stuff. Throwing the ball? Hobbled? Not so much. That is, if anything, his point of weakness, standing back in the pocket and throwing. The New York Jets just got gashed by Ryan Fitzpatrick, so we got to watch out for him. If he's slowed down, it can definitely help us. But the most important things, they're going to try to run the ball. Even though Lamar Jackson's going to scramble, I think the Bills just held him to like 40 yards or so, they're still going to hand the ball off a ton to Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram. we got to make sure that we stop the run, just like my dad said. And we may be the best run defense they've played. You know, don't... Don't overlook the Jets in their run defense. I know they don't have a bunch of big names on that defensive line. I know the team hasn't done especially well this year. But what we've done against opposing teams' rushing attacks is absolutely, it's it's awesome. I mean, we're doing it with a limited squad, as we've talked about a million times, and Greg Williams and all this stuff. But people just aren't running all over. Saquon Barkley, one yard. Adrian Peterson, 24 yards. Josh Jacobs, 35 yards. It's like nobody is having big success against the New York Jets. And if we can stop the Ravens, and limit what they want to do most could be very helpful. So we got to force in the pass. I think we said about we must maintain our alleys with an organized rushing attack. What he means by that is when we rush all of our pass rushers, we can't overload. We can't have five guys running from one side because if five guys come from, say, the right side, Lamar Jackson's going to go left. And once he goes left and he's on the move, that's when he scrambles. That's when he finds quick yardage. Same goes any other side of the field. If you force him to move one direction he's going to move the opposite direction and once he's going he's fast as hell and then he's looking to run and that's when he picks up big gainers so the big thing is crashing the pocket around him both sides pinching the front pressing forcing him backwards straight back or keeping him in the pocket that's the way you got to maintain your alleys you can't have a huge gap between you know your right tackles pulling off the side and your guard is coming up towards the middle and there's like a four foot gap between them Lamar Jackson's going to take off right through that thing and he's going to be able to juke out Neville Hewitt or James Burgess with ease. With ease. James Burgess and Neville Hewitt are nowhere near as athletic enough athletic enough to keep up with Lamar Jackson in the open field. And he'll run all over the New York Jets if we can't maintain our alleys. 
if he's feeling up to it. So that's a really big point, and I'm glad he mentioned that. And then offense, like he mentioned, we need to have one of those games where Adam Gase dials up that crazy stuff. It's got to be the end of rounds, the reverses, the flea flickers, the bombs, what, what have you. We got to try some crazy stuff because this is a game. The New York Jets are right now 15-point underdogs. We're playing in Baltimore short week against possibly a Super Bowl team. And the New York Jets, you know, we've got as many issues and injuries as you can count. So it's going to take everything but the kitchen sink to get a you know good game going against these Baltimore Ravens. So thank you, Dad, for that submission. That's going to basically bring us right into our preview of the Baltimore Ravens game. Now we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens, and you know I keep talking about how good they are. They could potentially win the Super Bowl. This is a really good team. But the question is just how good, and what are they good at? Well, I compiled all the stats of their team, their ranks on offense and defense, and for fun, I put the Jets in here as well so that we can have comparison. Just kind of compare where do the Jets stack up compared to the Ravens' numbers. So let's go through some of those right now. And this is some impressive stuff here. Starting on the defensive side of the ball, what the Ravens' defense can do. Points per game, they've only allowed 18.2 points per game. Fifth in the NFL. The New York Jets, they're 18th, 23 points a game. Yards allowed on defense, 6th in the NFL at 314 total yards allowed per game by their defense. The New York Jets, they actually rank 7th at 320 yards per game. A surprising number. That rush defense is so good that it's actually brought up into the top 10 for yards per game against the defense. So the New York Jets, that's one of our impressive numbers there. But still, so far, Ravens are at 5th and 6th on defense. Passing yards per game, they're 9th, 219 allowed per game. The Jets were 18th at 242. Sacks, the Ravens are middle of the road. They have the 17th most sacks on defense, 33 of them. It's not a crazy high number. The New York Jets, we only got four or less at 29. That's 23rd in the league. And you wouldn't consider the Jets to be a really good pass rushing team. I don't think any of us would. The Ravens throughout, you know, the the 13, 14 games they've played, 13, um, they've only got four more sacks than the Jets. So not crazy pass rush from them. Rushing yards per game, they're really good sixth in the league they only give up 95 rushing yards per game the new york jets on the other hand they're second in the league they give up 79 rushing yards per game so that's part of what gives them that seventh overall yards per game defense when you look at the ravens in those ranks fifth sixth ninth 17th and sixth that's a really good defense a heck of a lot better than the jets at 18th 7th 18th 23rd and second but now let's go over to the offense because this is where the ravens get a little deadly Points per game, they're first in the league at 33 points per game. Next best team has 30. The Jets, they're 29th at 17 points per game. They basically get twice as many points per game than the entire New York Jets team. Yards per game, they're second in the league at 408 offensive yards per game. We're 31st with 271. Now I want to preface all these Jets stats. We played Luke Falk, even David Fails at some points for this season. It has been a mess. I mean, those have skewed things. If Sam Darnold played this entire season, we would not be as low ranked on offense, but that's how it went. That's the New York Jets are dealing with, so these are the numbers we're reading. Passing yards per game. The Ravens are only 26th in the league in passing yards per game. 207 yards. That's what they average per game. Lamar Jackson does not light it up. He does not frequently throw for 300 yards. He'll throw touchdowns. He'll find guys in the seams. He'll find his receiver or two and a tight end or two. And he runs and he hands the ball off to the tune of the, basically the most effective scoring offense in the NFL. Jets passing yards per game, 30th in the league, 196. Again, a lot of Luke Falk and stuff. 
Sacks allowed, the Ravens have allowed the eighth least 24 sacks allowed by their offense. We've allowed 47 sacks, almost double the amount of sacks we've allowed, 28th. So we're going to have a little bit of trouble getting after them. Rushing yards per game, we're 31st in the league at 75 yards. They're first in the league. The Ravens get 200 rushing yards per game. The next highest, number two in the league, is 149 rushing yards per game. They get 51 more rushing yards than the next best team in the entire NFL. They are a running machine. A machine. I mean, we talked about it. We have one of the best, if not the best, run defense units in the entire NFL. Even with the injuries we have. That defensive line, they're great at stopping the run. Greg Williams, his schemes, great at stopping the run. But this is like nothing we've faced so far. Not even close. 200 yards per game. I mean, that's that's crazy talk. So as we can see, the ranks of the Ravens are much more impressive than the New York Jets and actually make them look like maybe the best team in the entire NFL. When you take those things all together, you're like, holy shoot, they're first, second, top five in a lot of important categories. The Jets, we are not. What makes up those rushing numbers? Let's start there for the Ravens. How do they do it? Well, the number one guy in terms of attempts, Mark Ingram. We know him from the Saints. He played there for a long time. He's the perfect guy for the Ravens, a bruising, hard-nosed guy, can go right up the middle. Still got pretty fresh legs because he's always been in the timeshare. He's got 181 carries. He's got 887 yards. Five yards per attempt is his average right now. He's got nine touchdowns. The next leading rusher is Lamar Jackson. Their quarterback has 151 attempts. 1,017 yards at 6.7 yards per attempt. He's done it 151 times. He's got seven touchdowns rushing. And then as if you were like, wow, that's those are insane numbers. Then they got this other guy, Gus Edwards. He's ran the ball 95 times himself for another 480 yards, over five yards a carry, and two more touchdowns. Those three players combine for 2,384 rushing yards from those three guys and 18 rushing touchdowns. I mean, this is a, you want to talk about a rushing attack unit? The New York Jets, they're facing one this week. Now, what we want to do, like my dad said, is try to get them to pass the ball. Lamar Jackson, he's still really effective at that this year. He's got 109 quarterback rating. He's thrown for 2,677 yards at 66%, so pretty good numbers there. He's got 28 passing touchdowns and six interceptions. So, like, really good statistics and numbers there. One of the things about him is teams are looking for them to run so much that he's, you know, he's not the most gifted passer of the football. And people want to talk, oh, everyone says he's a wide receiver. Everyone overlooked Lamar Jackson. Don't be foolish. He doesn't throw the ball incredibly well. He does have a sneaky good cannon of an arm. He's got some really nice touch. He can throw from a ton of different angles. But he's not a stand on the pocket, set his feet, find a guy, and throw across the middle. He's not. He finds guys when they're open. Guys are, he, he plays like the way that he runs. It's kind of like that college offense. And he's he constantly running the ball, handing the ball off. They're doing all those things. And just like in college, guys on their team are left wide open more than I've seen people wide open basically on in any other team in the entire NFL. You'll count Hollywood Brown. You'll see Willie Sneed or Mark Andrews, one of these tight ends, just left wide open on the field. And Lamar Jackson will find them. And when they burn past you, he can hit them because he's got a cannon of an arm. Now, he's good. He's a good passer of the football, but he's not great at it. Definitely not yet. So we have to try to force him into that role. And we can't let it be like, you know, a run to set up the pass. We've got to make it like your run is not working so well. You're going to have to do the pass on your own. It's kind of going to have to be manufactured that way. 
When it comes to receiving the ball, the number one receiver for them is a tight end, Mark Andrews. He's got 54 receptions for 707 yards and seven touchdowns. So he's the number one guy. Again, similar to when he played the Raiders, the number one option here is a tight end. He's a security blanket. Lamar Jackson likes to throw to him the most. When it comes to wide receivers, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, the rookie draft pick this year, he's got 39 catches for 518 yards, six more touchdowns. And so those are the only two players in the entire team that have more than 30 catches. So he's not doesn't have a guy that he's constantly throwing to. It's just mostly a lot of more big plays, high yards per reception, you know, a lot of quick touchdowns and things like that, long plays for these guys. You look through, you know, the, the tight end, 51-yarder, Marquise Brown, 83-yarder, the next guys, you got 50-yarder, 61-yarder, 50-yarder, all these players, just huge, big, long plays that they're getting. It's not a conservative dink and dunk style. It's the opposite. It's run the ball and then take your bombs, take your shots, find your passes when you have to. The next receiver after Marquise Hollywood-Brown, 27 receptions. It's Willie Sneed. You probably remember him. He's been around the league for a while. He's only got 302 yards. He does have five touchdowns because, again, when you get towards the goal line, people leave the receivers open. They don't even cover them because you got to stop the run there. So dangerous. But 27 receptions, 302 yards. That's like Demarius Thomas numbers, and he came, what, midway through the season? That's not anything to write home about. Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst, the next two receivers, 27 and 26 catches respectively they're tight ends so three of their top five targets are tight ends mark andrews nick boyle and hayden hurst those two guys they both have two touchdowns apiece both have a little over 280 receiving yards and then from there that's basically it so they run three tight ends one burner wide receiver and then one like hybrid tight end wide receiver style just like when you forget about him willie sneeds there he's not going to burn you crazy he's kind of physical kind of big and uh he'll catch the ball if you get it to him but it's not super scary. As long as you don't let Marquise Brown get over the top, Marcus May's pretty good at that. And you D up Willie Sneed. I think someone like LaShawn Austin could actually do a pretty good job against him. Then you have to find a way to eliminate the tight ends and stop them from running the ball. Now, we should be able to somewhat easily stop Mark Ingram from running the ball up the middle as long as we don't put too many guys monitoring and watching Lamar Jackson. If, like my dad said, we guard those alleys, it's going to make it a lot more difficult for him to find lanes, and it'll have to be designed runs to get him there. I think the New York Jets, we don't have the linebackers to keep up with him. And without Jamal Adams, he's a big X factor to stop Lamar Jackson. You know, he's one of those guys that can spy, actually keep up. He's probably one of the only players in the league that's almost as athletic as Lamar Jackson. But if we don't have him, it's going to be a tall order, regardless. And, you know, that's just one side of the ball. On the other side, we heard those numbers. Their defense is really freaking good, too. They don't get a ton of sacks, but our offensive line's not very good. And they're good at stopping the run. They've got, they've got, I mean, listen to some of these defensive players they got because they got some big names. And especially when it comes to them, it's that secondary. And it's going to make it tough for Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, and the guys. Because if Sam Darnold doesn't have time, he's going to be really screwed because these guys aren't going to be open quickly. He's going to have to have time standing in the pocket to find open receivers against this group of DBs. Marlon Humphrey having an amazing year. Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr are the four cornerbacks for them. Then they got Chuck Clark and Earl Thomas as their safeties. So you've got Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr on the same secondary. And that's part of the reason they're so freaking good at stopping the pass this year. They also have really good linebackers. Their linebackers are where they generate most of their pressure. Comes from number one in their guy is uh, Matt Judon. He's a linebacker. He's got eight and a half sacks himself. The next most on the team is four. That's Tyus Bowser. 
and then from there a couple guys with three and two. So it's really just like a, a two pony show when it comes to sacks. Mostly Matt Judon, and the only other guy that has like significant numbers in there, Tyus Bowser. The team actually overall has pretty good linebackers. When you look at Matt Judon, Tyus Bowser, Jalen Ferguson, who was drafted this year, a lot of us knew him because he had a ton of sacks in college. You got another guy, Patrick Onwasser. He's like second in the team in tackles. It's a really good unit over there. I guess their weakness, if you're looking at anything, would be their defensive line, but they're run stuffers. They don't get a ton of pressure from their defensive line. They stop the run, and then they use their linebackers to get pressure, get the guys running outside, and they use their cornerbacks to basically man up and play physical defense against your cornerbacks. So it's going to be a really tough task for Sam Darnold. This game probably will not go super well. And uh, I actually talked about it this week. I was a guest on a podcast of the Ravens called Charm City Birdwatch with a couple of really nice guys, Jake and Ian. They let me on. I talked to Jake for a little while, and we talked New York Jets mostly. He was asking me questions about how the Jets are going to face off and everything. Wanted to know my prediction for the game. I gave him my score prediction in this one. I think I gave the Jets too much credit. I said the Ravens score 26 points, and the Jets will score 17. Now, the Jets, if the things that my dad wrote, if everything goes right and the stars align, the Jets could play a pretty close game. And, you know, a 9-6 point game, would probably be pretty close considering. But if things don't go well, if the New York Jets play poorly, I mean, they could easily lose this thing by 30 points. This could be one of those blowout-type games because the Ravens are that good, and we are that decimated and deflated. And we haven't really got a rhythm going, partly because of injuries, partly because of offensive play calling, you know, guys being in and out and stuff. It's a really, really tall task. I said, like I said, 27-16. That's an 11-point loss. Very likely could be worse than that. But you're welcome to hear that podcast. That's Charm City Birdwatch. You can find that on charmcitybirdwatch.com. Their Twitter is at charmcitybw. Really nice guys. Really good talking to them. It was just like a 20-minute, they call it ice cream with the enemy. I guess in this case, I was the enemy. Somehow, I'm a pretty nice guy, but he made me the enemy. Right when I started, and I was like, kind of threw me off. I was like, okay, whoo. <laughs> All right, change of gears here. You suck. But no, it was actually a, a pretty nice, formal conversation, professional, and Really good guys, and they actually wish the best to us, and we got a bunch of former Ravens. Joe Douglas is part of that. We got guys like um, Alex Lewis was a Raven, Maurice Kennedy, Ty Montgomery. I mean, there's a bunch of different storylines and players that have moved between the two teams, so um, good talking to them. Like I said, you can check that podcast out. I think they're on SoundCloud, and uh, you can find it on Twitter as well. And, yeah, that's my prediction, 27-16. I'll remind you that if you like this podcast – this is the Jet Life, part of the Gang Green Nation podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening to it. Really appreciate it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And I'm going over all that boring stuff because this episode is officially over. We've talked about the Ravens. We've talked about how good they are. We did a little father time. He gave us his insight. We broke down that Miami Dolphins game, how Sam Darnold led not one but two potential game-winning drives in that game. Greg Williams' patchwork defense made it work player performances, teams. We, we did it all. It was fun. We had a good time. And we wrote a poem for Robbie Anderson that I'll be releasing to him tomorrow at about, like, I don't know, sometime around lunchtime. When I get a break, I'll send it over to him and let's see what he thinks. Maybe I'll make his holiday, make him a little happy, and potentially woo him into signing back on with the New York Jets. And if he wants to do a team discount, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. No pressure, though. Just do what's in your heart. We love you, Robbie. All right, short week. I'll be back next Tuesday. It'll be really stale to talk about the Ravens game. If we lost, it'll be great because we can just move right past it and basically just start pre-gaming for the Pittsburgh game. Uh, if we win, people will still probably want to hear about it even though it's four or five days removed. So it's all going to be good. I'm not going to change the schedule. 
Tuesday night. That's when this podcast is going to come out next week. Um, I'll be there on Twitter watching this Baltimore Ravens game. Hope you are too. Let's keep rooting for the New York Jets. We don't want draft picks. We want to win. We don't want this coaching staff to fail just for the sake of getting fired. We want to see this team play well, evolve, and keep taping, taking steps in the right direction before next year. Let's figure out of these like 25 upcoming free agents we got, let's figure out which ones we want to keep. Spoiler alert, I want to keep Robbie, Jenkins, Poole right off the top. You can convince me about Alex Lewis, Kelvin Beecham to come in as backups. I want to address that offensive line, but... Um, that's what I got there. So thank you for joining me for this podcast. I had fun. The New York Jets beat the division rival Miami Dolphins 22-21. And the New York Jets are 5-8 and eight on the season now. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>